Okay, good. Well, great to be with you again. Um, I've lived in the north of England now for 35 years. Uh, but I was reminded this morning that I still haven't quite finely attuned to the accent. Um, certainly in Newcastle. Dave Shearer came up to me and he said, do you want to use a cheap mic this morning? I looked at him and I thought, I thought I was a guest speaker, but I'm being offered the cheapest mic until I suddenly realised he was offering me the cheek mic, you see. Anyway, you know, another 35 years up here and I might uh, get it right more often. Why don't you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1? I want to speak from, uh, I want to look at the character of Nehemiah this morning and just draw some things out that I feel the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today. Um, we'll read Nehemiah chapter 1 through to 2 verse 6. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month, month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are, and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel." I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon... I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. <clears throat> Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, and so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad 
when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Book of Nehemiah is a great book. It's a great book for us as a New Testament, New Covenant people, uh, because there are many parallels for us, particularly when it comes to, to build, seeing something built and established in our lives and through our lives and in the church and through the church, in the cities and in the place where we live. It's a book for those that are building. Put your hand up if in some way, shape or form you're believing for God to build something, do something in your life or through your life. If that's you, this is the book for you. This book was written for you. God wants to speak to you by the power of his Holy Spirit this morning through this book and through the scripture we've just read. And if you'll open your heart to, to him this morning, he will speak into your life with regard to what he wants to do in you and through you this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in uh, chapter 1, we're introduced to the character of Nehemiah, and we see that Nehemiah is a servant. Um, Actually, he's a servant in exile at the time, well away from his country and from his people. He is a servant, but he is no ordinary servant. Verse 11 in chapter 1 there tells us he was cupbearer to the king the great king Artaxerxes, who was actually over a whole sort of empire at the time. So he was part, if you like, of the royal household. He had a most privileged position, a high position, actually a position of incredible honor and trust. And if you understand the history, you'll also understand that Artaxerxes' father was actually assassinated by a servant that was close to him. So you can imagine that His son, King Artaxerxes, chose very carefully those who were close to him. And Nehemiah was such a choice. He occupied an amazing position of honor and trust. I want to tell you that in terms of comfort and security and material provision and status, Nehemiah has got it as good as anyone of his Jewish race and background in exile could ever expect to have it. He's very secure and he's very comfortable. And then in verse 2 we read that he inquires of Hanani, who was a brother, a fellow Jew who visited Judah and Jerusalem. He makes inquiry of him and he says, to him, how are God's people in Judah doing? And how's God's city of Jerusalem doing? And he hears in verse 3 some really shocking news. Hananiah says to him, it's not good news. God's people are in great trouble and God's city is in ruins. The walls are broken down and the gates are burned and the disgrace through it all is overwhelmingly great. 
And Nehemiah's response to this that we read in, in the scriptures we've read this morning is, is days and days of, of weeping and mourning. You see, Nehemiah understands something. He understands that the people he's inquiring of are no ordinary people. That the city he's asking about is no ordinary city. He understands the people he's asking after. He's asking after God's people. He's asking after God's city. And God himself has invested something of himself, something of his reputation, something of his presence and something of his glory in this people and in this city. And the pain and distress of this situation for Nehemiah is not only the pain he felt for his people. It's not only the pain he felt for the people he was part of and loved. It was the pain of seeing God's reputation disgraced. The pain of seeing the honor and glory of God's name in tatters. The pain of seeing the king of glory not being glorified as he should have been being glorified. It was a pain of seeing that God was not being glorified in the city that he had chosen to bear his name and not being glorified in the people he had chosen to bear his presence and reflect his glory to the nations. You know what, Nehemiah, he could have heard this news and he could have felt just a bit of disappointment, just a, a bit of discouragement. He could have thought to himself, you know what, that's a shame. But at least God secured my position. At least, at least I'm being blessed by God. At least God has ensured my comfort and my security and my blessing. But Nehemiah is not slightly disappointed or slightly discouraged or even slightly concerned. He is deeply and profoundly distressed. He's actually besides himself with pain and with grief that God's reputation is being disgraced, that the honor and glory of God's name is in tatters, that God's people are in trouble, that God's city is in ruins, and the king of glory is not being glorified as he should be. And get this, Nehemiah's own personal position, comfort, security, and blessing is of no comfort to him whatsoever. Why? Because in Nehemiah we're seeing a man who's not consumed with his own interests. He's consumed with the interests and the glory of his God. How easy it is for us as Christians to be consumed with our own interests to become focused simply on our well-being and our comfort and our own security, how I feel, what I want, what I need, my job, my career, my family, my children, my prosperity, my finances, my role, my place, my life. It's so easy for God's people to become consumed with a spirituality that's actually all about us and all about our blessings. Don't get me wrong. We're God's children. He loves us. He wants to bless us. 
But that's not the same as his own children being consumed with their own blessing on their own lives to the exclusion of his glory and his interests. How easy it is to become consumed with a spirituality that's all about us, all about our needs, and all about our blessings. How do I know it's easy to become consumed with that sort of spirituality? Because I've done it myself on many occasions. Got the t-shirt. More than one t-shirt. Every time I choose sin over holiness... I'm putting what I want before what he wants. Every time I choose comfort and security over faith and obedience, I'm choosing my interests and welfare over his interests and welfare. You know, recently, well, probably about six months ago now, I had an opportunity to to share with someone. I, I had an opportunity to tell someone that I'd just met. I had an opportunity to tell them that I was a Christian and some of the things that I did. And, you know, normally I'm reasonably good at sharing and fairly bold in those sorts of situations. But on this particular occasion, I had an opportunity. It was like a moment where I made a choice. And I made a choice not to say anything, not to tell them what I did. It was a moment, it came and it went in a few seconds. But afterwards, I asked myself the question, why why didn't you take that moment of opportunity? And you know why? It suited me not to say something at that particular point in time because I was actually more interested at that moment in my own reputation and interests, how I looked, rather than his reputation and interests and how he looked. Too many times I've turned around to find my prayer life has become all about my life, my issues, my family, my ministry, my church. And so many times the Holy Spirit has had to refocus me, had to remind me, it's not first about me, it's first about him. It's not first about my interests and blessings, it's first about his interests and his glory. See, Nehemiah wasn't a man concerned about his own comfort, security, prosperity, and blessing. If he had been such a man, he would not have been so distressed by something that was so distant from him in his life. He wouldn't have been so distressed by something that had so little direct impact on his own personal life and interests. And he would not have been so willing to put all of his own interests at such great risk, which is exactly what the scripture tells us he did. And you see, Nehemiah, he wept, he mourned, he prayed, and he fasted for several days, and then he took a most phenomenal risk, a risk that put everything he had at stake, all his personal interests, his personal comfort, security, prosperity, his personal position, in fact, it put at life It put at stake his very life. How did he do that? He did that by daring to go into the king's presence with a sad face. 
Now you may say to yourself, that's no big deal. Every Monday morning I go in looking miserable to my place of work. And I look miserable, I feel miserable, and I'm happy to look miserable. I don't want to be there, and it's Monday morning, and there's a lot of the week ahead. How is being miserable in front of someone such a risky scenario? Listen, this was a great king, Artaxerxes. No one ever went into the king's presence with a sad face. Whatever a servant's personal problems were, they were expected to keep their feelings completely to themselves. When you served the king, whatever was going on in your life, you were expected to serve at all times with a positive attitude and disposition. You never, ever carried your personal problems into the king's presence. To carry your personal problems into the king's presence was to lose your position and actually to also lose your head. Why do you think in verse 2, in, verse two, in chapter 2, the king spots he's sad? And he says this, I was very much afraid, is what it says in the scripture. Why was he very much afraid? No one was ever sad in the king's presence. He was very much afraid because at that very moment, if everything went as it normally would go with the great, great king Artaxerxes when you were miserable in front of him, if everything was going to go as it normally went, he was about to lose his life. Hey, no wonder he was very much afraid. You are free to be very much afraid at that point. This was not a mistake by Nehemiah, being sad in the king's presence. Do you understand? This wasn't that uh, he was actually so lacking in self-control that he didn't know how to keep a straight face in the king's presence when his heart was sad. He knew completely how to control himself in the presence of the king. He'd had a lifetime being trained in doing it. It's like when you get trained as a doctor. I remember my first job in casualty. I was panicking at half the things that came through the door because I didn't really know anything at all. But you would have looked at my face and I looked very much in control. <laughs> this was a deliberate decision to be sad in the king's presence. Actually, he prayed at the end of chapter 1 that God, he said, God, grant me favor in this man's presence. I was cupbearer to the king. He knows exactly where he's going and what he's going to do. When Nehemiah went into the king's presence and decided to be sad, it was a faith step. It was a faith decision. Nehemiah, dad, dad, or even dared, as well as dad, I'm sure. But Nehemiah, dad... Okay, Nehemiah dared to go into the king's presence sad because the honor and the reputation and the glory of the king of heaven was more important to him than his own life and his own interests. Who used to watch Popeye? 
All right. Okay. There's a few oldies amongst us and a few retro people. Well, for those of you that don't know Popeye, Popeye, I used to watch Popeye when I was a young kid, but it was Popeye the sailor man, and he was married to olive oil. (laughs) In each episode of the story, in each episode there was a different story, a different scenario, but at some point in each episode, something bad or disruptive would happen through an incident or a bad person. And at that point, Popeye would get very distressed by what had happened and what he'd seen, and he'd use this phrase, I can't stand this anymore! And it opened a tin of spinach. He'd get this amazing super strength and then he'd spring into action and beat someone or some crowd of people up. Who was that guy that was always... Bruno. Brutus. All right, we'll not go there. We could lose 10 minutes at this point. Something beginning with B. But he'd spring into action and he'd do something to put the situation right. Nehemiah was like Popeye. He saw something he couldn't stand anymore. He couldn't stand anymore seeing the city of God in ruins. He couldn't stand anymore seeing God's people defeated and in trouble. He couldn't stand anymore the name and reputation of God being disgraced. He couldn't stand anymore the great king of glory, his great king of glory, not being glorified. But instead of being filled with spinach, he gets himself filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets himself filled with faith and filled with courage and boldness and strength and the power of God. And so we see the heart of a man whom God delights to use. A man of passion and holy indignation. A man passionate about God's glory and indignant when God's not being glorified. A man of courage, a man of faith, a man consumed with God's interests and God's glory above his own interests and his own glory. And it's such a man as this that God uses in a truly remarkable way. And I would encourage you to read the whole book if you haven't read it before. But God uses Nehemiah to rebuild his city, to restore God's reputation, to make manifest God's glory. And that's exactly what we read happens through the rest of this book. He takes this amazing step of faith and something quite remarkable happens. You've got to understand what a miracle this was. You've got to understand what a a faith step this was. The king did not take off his head. But the king replied and said something no one in their wildest dreams would ever have thought he would say. What's upsetting you and what can I do to help? Whoa! God's on the throne. God's in charge. Why do the nations plot and rage in vain? Kings of the earth are not in charge. God's in charge. Step of faith is rewarded. God... The king releases him and releases him with, with provisions and royal edicts and gives him permission and makes provision for the build, rebuilding of Jerusalem. 
And Nehemiah in this book faces all sorts of ridicule and opposition and threat from the enemy. And there's challenges and all sorts of impossible odds. But God is with Nehemiah. And the people that God has gathered to him. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, the city of God, the people of God are supernaturally rebuilt and restored. And the king of glory is once again glorified in his city and through his people. Wow. Only God can do that. God is still after Nehemiah's today. He's still after men and women with a holy passion and with a holy indignation who will look at the church where it's being ineffective and compromising, who will look at the millions of lost souls around them, who will look at the state of their nation, who will look at the disgraceful way God is being dishonored, who will look at the lack of glory being given to God by his creation, and who will say, we can't stand this anymore. Because it's not right. God is after Nehemiah's. Men and women who will risk and deny their own position, wealth and interests in favour of his interests and his glory. A number of years ago, I mean, most of you here will know that I practised medicine for many years. But a number of years ago, gave up my medical career to become a full-time pastor. Uh, my family, my mother, my father, my brothers, who are not Christians at the moment, uh, they've never understood that decision that I made. In fact, my father has great displeasure. It's a source of great anguish to him that I stopped my career in medicine and became a pastor. The problem is, my parents don't understand that I'm living with a profound burden. That I'm living with things I just can't stand. I can't stand not being obedient to God when he calls me to do something. I can't stand not responding to the call of God. When I was, when I was a six-month-old Christian, I was so overwhelmed by what God had done for me in and through Christ. I so saw the love and the grace and the generosity of God. You know, I, I just simply said to God, God, you can have whatever you want. And in terms of my medical career, if ever there's a point you want to take that from me and want me to do something else for you, I'll do it. Well, when God said to me, it's time for you to leave medicine, there was absolutely no way I was going to be able to do anything but leave and serve God in the role as a full-time pastor. There are many things I can't stand. I can't stand that such a great price has been paid and so few people have really heard the gospel. I can't stand that such a great price has been paid and so few people have responded to the gospel. That so many people are still held captive by Satan. I want to do something about that. I can't stand that the church is not what it should be and what it could be. That at times it's lukewarm and full of compromise and all far too often marginalized and ineffective and appears irrelevant. And I want to do something about that. I can't stand the breakdown in family and community. 
the dishonor and lack of respect for God's gift of marriage. I can't stand seeing young people wasting their lives when they could have such a glorious destiny in Christ. I can't stand that people worship created things rather than the Creator Himself. I can't stand the total dishonor and disrespect of God's name and God's ways in our nation. I can't stand the rise of false religions that capture the hearts and minds of people that could belong to Christ. The list of things I can't stand goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But you don't want to be here till four in the afternoon listening to my can't stands list. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I responded to the call of God and left medicine because the city of God is not as it should be because the people of God are not as they should be and the king of glory is not being glorified as he should be. And I'm not saying the only way to serve God is to leave your career and become a pastor. It is not. Most of us are called to serve God right where we are with that sense of passion and faith and desire to see him glorified in the place he's put us. Very few people have the call on their lives to come and serve him full time. Most are called to serve God right where they are. But that was a call on my life and I needed to respond to it. You need to respond to what he's saying to you, whatever that is. But I am asking you this question, wherever you are and whatever he's saying to you, what can't you stand where God has put you? And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to dare to be sad in the king's presence? Do you understand? Now that doesn't mean, that isn't go miserable into your workplace. That is, so what, what risk are you going to take? What step of faith are you going to take? Where are you going to put your reputation, position and everything on the line? Because there's something more important to you than that. Where are you going to do that? Because every believer has to be dare, has to dare to be sad in the king's presence wherever they've been placed. If they want to see the king of glory. Honoured and glorified. I'm so grateful to a woman called Gwen Holden. Now, Gwen Holden's now probably in her mid to late 70s, but Gwen Holden was a teacher in, what school? Alma Road? Alma Road Girls School in Sidcup in the 1970s. She was teaching at the girls' school. And there was something she couldn't stand. She couldn't stand just filling those young people full of academic knowledge without filling them with a knowledge of Christ. She couldn't stand that. So she didn't just fill them with a knowledge of academic issues. By her life and through her word, she took some risks and she shared Christ with her class. One particular year, a dozen of the young people in her class got saved. I'm so grateful that she couldn't stand just filling those kids with academic knowledge. Because one of those people that got saved was my wife's sister in that year group. And a few months later, Linda's sister shared the gospel with Linda, who then got saved as a response to that on Easter Day, 19... 78. Because Gwen Holden 
couldn't stand God not being shared and glorified in the lives of young people. It's not good enough for us to simply know the King of Glory and be personally blessed. If that's the way you view it, you've not read the Bible. God is after us carrying the heart of Nehemiah. He's after us knowing the King of Glory and being passionate about seeing his glory established wherever he sends us or places us, and especially in those places where there's trouble and disgrace and there is no glorifying of God. Back in the summer, the Salt and Light camp transformed. One of the guest speakers was Jackie Pullinger. Most, some of you here will know Jackie Pullinger's story, but for those of you that don't, you know, she spoke at our conference, but at Back in 1966, when she was 21 years of age, she wanted to go serve God, and she got on a boat to Hong Kong, not knowing anyone there, some vague connection with one person, but she went to Hong Kong to serve God. And when she got to Hong Kong and she looked at Hong Kong, she looked at what the most depraved and worst place in Hong Kong was. And it was the walled city which was a no-go area for the police and a center of all sorts of drug and crime issues, addiction issues. And something went off in her heart, and if you've read her book or you ever hear her speak, you, you, you can't fail but to hear this. She couldn't stand people in addiction, being in addiction, except to Jesus. She couldn't stand seeing the poverty, addiction, and crime. She couldn't stand it when she looked at the walled city and saw there was no glory of God there. And so she became a teacher in that place, and she ended up having some amazing encounters with the, uh, the criminal leaders in that walled city. And actually, God did an amazing work through that Nehemiah. He established something of his city in that no-go walled city. And St. Stephen's Charity was established and all sorts of things. And, you know, listen to her story, read the book. But there was no glory of God there. But someone said, I can't stand this no more. And they dared to be sad in the king's presence. A young woman in her 20s going into the walled city in Hong Kong. Do you understand how risky that is? Praise God for Nehemiahs like Gwen Holden and Jackie Pullinger. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to finish by saying this. All is not as it should be. There are many encouraging things God is doing in the church and through the church, you know, in this church, in other churches. And there are many situations where God is being wonderfully glorified. There are many more than we realize. But there are still many broken walls and still many burnt gates in our cities and our nation and many areas where God is not being glorified. I want to tell you, people without passion for God's glory who are consumed with their own lives and interests will never, ever make a difference. Those who will make a difference are those men and women who carry the heart of Nehemiah, those who are passionate about God's glory, those who can't stand God not being glorified, and those who are willing to take a step of faith, a step of obedience, like going into the king's presence sad, 
who are willing to risk and sacrifice their own interests for the sake of the interests of their great King of glory. There is no greater joy, excitement and pleasure than being used by God as an instrument in his hand. Than co-working as a son or daughter alongside God as our heavenly father and being used to restore walls, build, build walls and build his city. To see his name, his glory, his interests restored in the lives of people he loves is just a glorious Glorious process to be involved in. After 33 years of working with the Lord, I still get wowed by working alongside him, by seeing his wisdom, his power, his grace, and the majestic miracle work in hand at work in situations, circumstances, and in people's lives. And that he allows me to play a part alongside him in that. Wow. I've never come across anything that brings a joy and pleasure like it. It's a joy and pleasure beyond earthly compare. And that's because it's sourced from heaven. That's our inheritance. That's your inheritance. To live with God and to build with God. But it starts with a chapter one. With men and women who will have a passion for God's interests above their own interests. It starts with God finding Nehemiah's. And it ends with God being wonderfully honored and glorified. And the question I want to leave you with this morning is just very simple. Will you be God's Nehemiah? Where he's placed you? To see his glory, his reputation, his presence come as only he can bring it in. But he brings it in through men and women of faith. Men and women who carry the heart and attitude of Nehemiah. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.